So Lord, we just thank you for the possibilities that we have in you. We just thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're moving, outworking your purpose, even for our nation at this time, as we know it's the National Day of Prayer. We pray for our president and our leaders, but most of all, we pray for your grace. And even as our anthem says, we just say, come Holy Spirit. We know that you're already here, but we just invite you to come in greater measure with your presence, your person, your power, for your purpose. We just pray your blessing over this nation. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, it's wonderful to be able to gather again. Thank you for signing on and joining on. Please, as I've mentioned, it is the National Day of Prayer. Be praying, get together as families, just as the Lord leads you. It's also Pentecost Sunday, and we love that we get to just invite the Spirit to come afresh. As I mentioned, He's omnipresent. We know He's everywhere. He's already here. He's in us. But we're wanting to be, as the Scripture says, continually filled. And so that's my prayer as we enter into the Word today. And I, I love this quote by Alan Scott. He said that the next move of God is not going to be a move in the church, but of the church. We're all waiting, in a sense, to think what's going to happen. Are we all gathering again? But we're just going to proceed wisely because we know we're already gathering online. There might be social distancing, but there's no spiritual disconnect. And we know that the church is mobilized in every sphere over WhatsApp, over Instagram, over Facebook, over phone calls, over Zoom. And so the church is on the move as the Holy Spirit leads. We're going to keep you in step with what's happening at Harvest in particular. Please be following on all our social media platforms. But I want to jump into the Word today and I want to really look at what Pentecost means for us. To be an empowered people, to be a people that step forward, to be a people that know that we have gifts that are to minister for the glory of God, that we are called to be a blessing wherever we go, blessed to be a blessing. And so we're going to look at this together. And I wanted to start off by speaking in terms of something that we've faced in South Africa, and it's the reality of us facing the challenge of load shedding. It's a term that we've become used to. You know, when we first experienced load shedding, it was hugely disruptive. And you begin to realize the value of what you have when you no longer have it. Uh, there was this fresh anticipation and appreciation for power and for it to come back on. I mean, when it goes off and when it went off, literally, we were in darkness. But when it came back on, I'm sure it was like this in your household. It wasn't in mine. It was a little bit crazy. You know, we are turning lights on. We were um, switching on microwaves. We were ironing clothes that weren't even wrinkled. We were listening to the kettle for the joy and comfort of just hearing it boil. All because we could. There was power to be used and we were going to use it. And the reality of load shedding is that it affected each of us and all of us in significant ways. We couldn't do what we usually did. And everyone felt that. Anybody felt that. We couldn't do that which needed to be done. And with that mental picture, I want to take a look at what it means for us as a church to receive power from the Holy Spirit to be carried by and step into and pursue all the purposes of God. And, and the question I want to ask is this, is would we notice in the midst of Pentecost Sunday, as we spend time focusing on this, would we even notice if his power was no longer present? A.W. Tozer says this powerful quote, he says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would probably just go on, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everyone would notice the difference. You see, if you've studied the New Testament, you quickly realize that they were utterly 
dependent on the Spirit to live fully in the life that God called them to, to be who He had called them to be and achieve that for the kingdom which He had called them to achieve. So here's the question. If the Holy Spirit were not present with you at this moment, would anyone notice? Would you notice? Would you realize I'm not empowered to live this life I'm called to? You see, that's what we're seeing at Pentecost. That's what's happening this Sunday, and I'm trusting this will be more transformational than it will be just informational. That we would literally experience the presence, the power, the person of the Holy Spirit in a significant way. That it will be more than just head knowledge, but it will be an experiential knowing who the Holy Spirit is and His power at work in our lives. Because if we miss that, we miss out on His desire and His intended purpose which is to equip us and empower us to live as ambassadors, salt and light, those that display the wisdom and the goodness of God in this age. In the Old Testament, the word for the Holy Spirit is ruach, and the New Testament, the word for the Holy Spirit is pneuma. And both of these words have this root meaning, this idea of uh, a wind, a gale, or a breath of air. And this image of wind is used, and I, I trust it's going to help us to understand the person of the Holy Spirit a little bit better. We're in the midst of a moment where there's a lot of outcry across, across the globe because there was a man, George Floyd, a son, a father, a brother, an African-American who was treated brutally in the streets when police apprehended him and put their knee on his neck and he made this statement, I can't breathe. It's such a pertinent statement in the midst of this moment as we look at Pentecost. Uh, we need to focus on that at a later stage. I don't have time to go into that story. But what I do want to say is this. We're in a world that is gasping for breath because they are helpless. Whether it be in racism or sexism or classism or alcoholism or any ism, there's a world that's desperate for breath. And Jesus never denies the breath of God. We see it all through Scripture. He breathes into hurting, hopeless humanity and He brings a living hope. In John 3, when Jesus is trying to explain the Holy Spirit to the religious leader, he says the following, John 3 verse 8, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. In Acts 2, we see the scene of this mighty rushing wind that sweeps into the upper room. Why wind? For me, it's a picture in a sense for us as a church that looks a little bit like a sailboat. We can spend time and money and energy and resources, willpower, whatever's at our disposal, trying to get the sailboat ready to go. But if there's no wind, it ain't going nowhere. Doesn't matter how fancy your sailboat looks or how big it is or how small it is or what, what it, uh, it's painted to look like or not. The only thing that really counts when you're out on the water is this. It's the ability to catch the wind. I read recently about the early Celtic missionaries and they were convinced that God wanted to do more beyond their shorelines and beyond their lives. So they would set out on these rugged little boats called coracles that they would make. And they had no program or model or, or plan on how to evangelize. All they would do is they'd get on the water, they would hoist the sail and they would allow the wind to blow them wherever it would. And they had this conviction, it doesn't matter where we go or where we turn up, what we know is this, when we get there, the kingdom will come, God's spirit will be present, and he will move powerfully. And it happened just as they believed. Whole villages and cities encountered the king and his kingdom. And the wind is one of the only things that is both non-physical 
and yet it's tangible. You cannot see it or grab hold of it, yet you can experience and feel it and see its effects. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. He's not physical, yet He is tangible. I can't physically see Him or grab hold of Him, yet I can feel Him and I can sense Him. In other words, I can see the difference He has made in my life and I can see the effects of who He is in and through my life. And sometimes this picture of the Holy Spirit makes us a little bit uncomfortable because just like the wind that cannot be contained or controlled, the Holy Spirit cannot be contained. And our human default is we don't like things that are out of our control. And if all we do is think of the Holy Spirit as some kind of force to be contained or controlled or an energy without understanding the person of the Holy Spirit, then we'll find it difficult to have a relationship with Him because we've reduced Him to a force rather than received Him as a friend. He's the greatest friend you can have. The wisest, kindest, most brilliant, generous, loving friend. He knows all of your brokenness and still He pursues you. Still it says He won't abandon us. He won't leave us. He draws near to us. In John 14 to 16, Jesus coming to the end of His time on earth, He gathers some of His close followers and He knows it's going to be a rough ride for them once He leaves. He knows it's going to be challenging. And Jesus tells them this. He says, although I am leaving, you won't be left. Although I'm leaving, you won't be left. Can you imagine how the disciples are feeling? Jesus says that He will not leave them as orphans and they're thinking, well, where are you going? But it's this picture that's similar to parents with their kids. And a number of kids uh, going through the isolation we've been through might be suffering from a bit of separation anxiety. You know, as you step out the house, they say, where are you going? When are you coming back? Who's going to look after us till you get back? And this is really the conversation Jesus is having with his disciples, where he tells them he's going away, and no one knows when he will return. But someone is coming to be with them, who's going to be alongside them, journeying with them, until he returns. And from the disciples' perspective, I'm not too sure if that was very encouraging, comforting, or reassuring, because they had been accustomed to being with Jesus himself, personally, physically. John 14, 16 to 17 in the New Living Translation says this, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you, and He is the Holy Spirit. He leads you into all truth. And in all this, Jesus said, there's one word, in all that He was saying here, there's one word that jumps out to me as being hugely significant, and this word is the word another. There's two ways to read it. If you look at it, the one word for another is the word heteros, and another word is the word alos. Heteros means a different sort. Alos means exactly the same kind. He says, I'm going to send another who's exactly like me. The Father's going to send another. And it's not going to be like a twin that just looks like me or something that's kind of similar. He's saying, no, this is going to be a friend like me, someone exactly as I am. Eugene Peterson in the Message Translation, he phrases it this way. However... When the friend comes, the spirit of truth, he will take you by the hand and he will guide you. Can you imagine? I'm sure that was comforting uh, to the disciples to know they would have a friend like Jesus. But then he takes it a step further and he shakes it up for them once again. Because he says to them, it's actually better that I go and he comes. And they're thinking, well, if he's just like you, 
a friend like you? Why is it better that you go, Jesus? Why do we need a new friend? We've got you. How is leaving better? And here's the thing. Here's the key. God in you is better than God near you. Let me say it this way. God's presence and power inside of you is better than God's presence and power beside you. You might say, George, explain that to me a little bit. And sometimes I believe we think of these great heroes of the past, of their faith and their relationship with God. We think, you know, if I get to heaven one day, I'm going to ask them, what was it like to know God's presence here on earth? If I was speaking to Moses, I'd say, Moses, what was it like to experience the presence of God on that mountain? But maybe Moses would respond to us and say, you know, I had to climb a mountain to feel, to meet him and to know his presence. You tell me, what was it like to walk the earth with his presence and his power within you wherever you go? What was that like? We might say to Elijah, what was it like to call down fire on Mount Carmel and to experience the presence of God in that way and to see a boy raised from the dead? What was that like, Elijah? And maybe he would say to us, you know, there was times I was depressed, discouraged, despondent. You tell me, what was it like to live with God's power, His life and His fire in you, infusing you with supernatural peace and strength to endure and persevere? What was that like? You know, we look and we see that John the Baptist was born of a woman, it says. He is the greatest of those born of a woman. But Jesus goes on to say, but those of us who are born by the Spirit and are citizens of the kingdom, the least of us is greater than him. It's the sense of we're not just walking alongside or near, but we're knowing his presence inside of us. And just before Jesus ascends to be with the Father, he gives his disciples this instruction. Acts 1, verse 3 to verse 5. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he has promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 48-49 in the Amplified continues to say this. Listen carefully. I am sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. But you are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed, until you are fully equipped with power from on high, from heaven. And Jesus is telling the disciples this. He says, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Just wait in Jerusalem. He doesn't say to them, once I'm gone, you guys can go ahead and the Holy Spirit will catch up with you. He tells them not to do anything or go anywhere. And he's underlying their need for and the reliance they need upon the Holy Spirit. Essentially, Jesus is saying to them, don't try and tackle life out there until you have the power of the Holy Spirit in here. Don't try and tackle life out there until you know the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Jesus knew that for them to live life and accomplish the purposes He has for them, that they needed this empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why? Maybe there's an area of your life where continually you are struggling. Or maybe you're just not getting breakthrough. Maybe you feel continually stuck and it just feels that you're never getting free. Could it be that you've tried to move out before you've allowed the Holy Spirit to move within? 
You've tried to move out before you've allowed him to move with him. Perhaps you've tried tackling life out there in your own power and strength and wisdom, and it's just not working. You see, you need the power, the presence, the purpose of the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. It's that sense of knowing, as Scripture tells us, it's an ongoing filling. We need to be baptized, we need to be filled, but there's this ongoing filling. And the word actually means this, to be being filled. It's continual. It's not just filling to the brim, but it's overflowing. And we read in Acts 1, verse 8, But you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my people, my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives them instruction. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't venture out in your own strength. And linked to it is a promise. You will receive the power and ability to do that when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I, I love that word power here because it's the Greek word dunamis. And in the English we speak about dynamite. It's this explosive, divinely infused power that we have that comes from heaven through the Holy Spirit that we get to live with in our life to be effective for the kingdom. And it says that we get to be a witness. I love that it doesn't say you have to do witnessing. It's not saying that you need to go and strongly tell people about what you believe and you've got to bash them in a sense or you've got to spam their Facebook with posts of your opinion. No, it's not saying that. It's saying, no, the presence of the Holy Spirit, His power in your life is going to be so revealed through you that through your life you're going to witness to the goodness, the greatness and the wonder of who He is. And so there's a big difference where it's calling us to be a witness. And the power of the Holy Spirit is not for our own benefit to, in a sense, sense promote ourselves or to display how powerful we are there is benefit in it because obviously it enables us to overcome those things that we cannot overcome in our own strength it moves us from feeling overwhelmed to overflowing but that overflow in our life is meant to help others to see the overcoming life we call to live in God and to be drawn to encounter Jesus to experience the life of a spirit and to know relationship with the father as well and so it says that we will be a witness so that God might be glorified. And we see that the New Testament church was utterly dependent on this power that they received because they knew that in order for them to do what God had called them to do, to achieve for what he had planned for their lives, they had to walk in this infusing of the Spirit's life to accomplish their purpose and destiny. They couldn't do it without his power. And the same is true for us. We cannot do what God has called us to do. We cannot walk in the fullness of our identity, our destiny, our calling, unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. If we could do it in our own strength, then Jesus wouldn't have said, wait until the power arrives from on high. To live your life without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's like trying to cut down a forest with a Swiss army knife. It's like trying to row across the Atlantic with, with a rake. It just doesn't make sense where you've got a sail in the boat that you can hoist to get you where you need to go. Why would you want to live your life without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through you? And for some of us, maybe you're facing a, a relationship challenge or a behavioral struggle. Maybe you've been struggling with an addiction or anxiety or fear, an eating disorder. doesn't matter what it is. Our human tendency or knee-jerk reaction is to fall back into some kind of self-help program where we rely on ourselves to get us out of this mess so that we can feel better about ourselves. 
You see, it's all about self. And the problem is that this approach just makes us self-reliant, where we're called to be Holy Spirit dependent, Holy Spirit surrendered and led. We don't want to be self-reliant, but dependent on Him. And so they're in this upper room, and they're concerned for their lives, and Jesus isn't there, and they know their lives are in danger. And so they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And then the wind of the Holy Spirit begins to blow. Acts 2, verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heaven like a rushing, violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were being distributed among them, and they rested on each one of them, as each person received the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled, that is, diffused throughout their being with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, different languages, as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out clearly and appropriately. And it was in this moment that their sails were hoisted, and they knew that the promise was being fulfilled. Whereas they were unsure of what would happen and how it would happen, they knew who it would happen through. And they knew that the Holy Spirit, in His person, in His presence, in His power, had showed up, and He was starting to breathe upon them. So they started to hoist the sails. Acts 2 verse 5 says this, Many godly Jews were in Jerusalem that day for the religious celebrations, having arrived from many nations. And when they heard the roaring in the sky above the house, crowds came running to see what it was all about and were stunned to hear their own language being spoken by the disciples. This was a time where Jews from all over the world had come to celebrate the feasts and they'd come to celebrate their religious um, celebrations. And these Jews from all over were devout and they were focused on religious activity. But something took place that disrupted and interrupted their plans. And it made the crowds come running to see because the Holy Spirit was moving. See, when you've been baptized in the Spirit and you receive the power of the Spirit, not only do you know about it, but others can see it. They can sense it. They realize something has happened. They notice that. And they come running just as they ran to Jesus. They come running to the life of the Spirit in operation in and through you because supernatural grace, grace is abounding. And Acts 2, the people were amazed as they heard this message of the gospel in different languages. And they came running. They had never heard the good news of the gospel before. But what we see here is the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just for those believers' own benefit, but it was overflowing. It wasn't that they would just look good, but it would that they would release the goodness of God. It's the sense of that they knew that they were a blessing going somewhere to happen. They were blessed to be a blessing. And these people were running to what God was doing. Acts 2, 14-16 goes on to say, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen, all of you visitors and residents of Jerusalem alike, some of you are saying these men are drunk. It isn't true. It's much too early for that. People don't get drunk by 9 a.m. No, what you see this morning was predict predicted centuries ago by the prophet Joel. And, and I love that uh, this moment with, when you see what's happening with Peter because it had just said previously that the people were starting to criticize and ridicule because they appeared drunk. And he said, no, this isn't it. 
And he steps forth boldly because the power of the Holy Spirit enables him to. And when we know the enabling presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's going to enable us to step forward and step beyond that which would be obstructions. And this was what happened with Peter. You know, just a few days earlier, he was afraid, he was anxious, and here, facing ridicule and rejection, where most of us would face stress and anxiety, worry and doubt, that had kept him bound previously, in this moment, with the Holy Spirit, filling him, filling his sails, he stepped forward. And that's the beauty of what happens when we allow the Spirit of God to move in us and through us. It releases us to step forward with boldness and not to allow our current situations to dictate our future movement. Not to allow our current situation to dictate our future movement. That's a, a great encouragement for us in the midst of the moment and the situation that we're finding ourselves in because it enables us to step past barriers of fear and worry, anxiety and uncertainty because the Holy Spirit carries us forth into all that He has for us. He moves us beyond that's which is holding us back. His power enables us to operate beyond the realm of what we've seen and experienced before. And the disciples saw an upper room with walls and experienced fear and anxiety. But when the wind came, when the Holy Spirit started to breathe the breath of heaven, their sails were hoisted, their sails were filled, and it shifted Peter from a harbor of fear to oceans of possibility in God. So the power of the Holy Spirit is here to empower us to be witnesses, to be there, to overcome, and to move from overwhelm to overflow. I'm speaking that to someone today. But he's also able to empower us to step forward. I'm saying that this isn't a moment to be in fear and anxious about what might outwork, but that you will be filled with greater boldness, with a greater sense of purpose, as you know him leading you, and you're dependent on him. And then I want to say this, he empowers you with gifts. I love that He comes and not only does He draw near, not only does He fill us, not only does He come upon us, but He, he gives us gifts. And these gifts are not just for us, but they're called to be a blessing to the body. The Spirit comes and He uh, empowers us in this way. And often the gifts seem to overshadow the fruits of the Spirit. But it's, it's the both and. We're not to get caught up in just the one. But today I'm speaking specifically of the gifts. You see, the gifts demonstra demonstrate the power of God's working. But here's the thing. The fruit demonstrates the depth of our relationship with Him. He enriches us with the fruit of the Spirit, but He empowers you with the gifts of the Spirit. Both are important. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is He'll facilitate both of these. He'll facilitate the gifts manifesting through your life as well as the fruit that is produced in your life. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6 says this, now, there are varieties of spiritual gifts, special abilities, given by the grace and extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit operating in believers. But it is the same Spirit who grants them and empowers believers. And there are also varieties of ministries and service, but it is the same Lord who has served. And there are distinctive ways of working, but it is the same God who produces all things in all believers, inspiring, energizing, and empowering them. I love that scripture. And I just want to demystify this for a moment when we talk about the gifts. The gifts are given to you. They're given to me. We didn't earn them. They're not meant to be a badge of self-approval, as I mentioned earlier, but they're to, to serve the body of Christ. They're to bless the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit, in His sovereignty, didn't have to give us gifts, but He chose to give them to us generously, freely, 
and with anticipation to see them out working through us. And it's this humbling thought that He empowers us, He entrusts us, and He uh, grants us these gifts. And why did He do this? 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. The purpose of all these gifts is so that the church be built up, established, and strengthened. Spiritual gifts are not given so that we can have impressive titles, but that we can serve and care and love. That's what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 12, 8-11 says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually as He will. And later in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that we're a body with many parts and that we all need each other and that every part of the body is significant, plays a role and supports the rest of the body. I'm not going to say too much more about this because we don't have much time. We're going to be finishing off with a bit of prayer. But I do want to say this. For you to live life out there, you need to be empowered in here. For you to live out of isolation, out of lockdown, unlocked in all that God has for you, you need to allow the Spirit to unlock His fullness in your life and mine. He does that. He's a friend. He's a helper. He empowers us with His presence, His purpose, and His power to do that which He's called us to. Here's the thing. You cannot catch the wind, but the wind can certainly catch us. You cannot catch the wind, but the wind can certainly catch you. You just need to hoist your sail and allow the Holy Spirit's breath just to fill you, to carry you, to bear you along. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. You know, we're excited about stage three and that we get to come out of the homes. I want to say this. Don't leave your homes without knowing without experiencing, without overflowing, with the life of the Spirit in you, so that you can be a blessing, as I've said, going somewhere to happen. Don't venture out in your own strength and wisdom, but receive power afresh. Be continually filled. Be continually overflowing. Be being filled, so that you might be empowered, number one, to be a witness. You get to live a life that witnesses. You get to step forward, and out of those things that want to hold you back, and be a demonstration of what life looks like in the overcoming uh, victory that we have in Jesus. And thirdly, there's fruits being produced and there's power being outworked through gifts in and through your life that are a demonstration of the kingdom. I want to finish with that encouragement. I want to say that the next move of God is not necessarily a move to get us back into a building, but it's the move as we see on Pentecost Sunday of the church into every sphere and every uh, stratosphere and every aspect of society that we've been called to reach and i want us to just know the holy spirit's breath and empowerment to do so we're going to provide time now if you if you've got some time please stick around we're going to have a zoom session you'll see the link coming up um, in the bio that you can click on and we've got a team that are ready to pray with you you'll come into a waiting room and then you'll get assigned to go to various rooms and we just want to pray just the life the blessing the the favor and the power of god to just infuse you once again to infuse us as a body once again for what we call to in this latest unlocking because we wanting to be running with all that god has for us in this moment but let me pray for you first holy spirit we just 
Thank you for who you are. You are such a friend. We don't want to focus on just the fire and the power without realizing just the friend you are and just to know who you are as a person. But we thank you that as you do come, that you empower us. And I just thank you for your presence right now in every home, in every household, every person that's watching, that I just pray that you would breathe afresh. We just say, come Holy Spirit, just fill us again. Just let us be uh, overflowing in your life. We just hoist the sails and we say, just breathe and blow us wherever you would, that we might reach and we might be those that live out what it looks like to be in relationship with you. We might be uh, impactful witnesses to the kingdom and to the king. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. We just thank you, Holy Spirit, for that which you're doing right now. And we just love you, Father, that we get to live out of this relationship through the promise that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.